Welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by Sean Bloomgren and Andrew Penny from Central Iowa. On our show, we discuss all things agronomy, high yield management, and give you real-time updates on what we're seeing and hearing in the field. We'll also gain insight from industry professionals as we bring you relevant and timely information on current agronomic practices. Thank you for joining us. Welcome back to A Penny for Your Thoughts. Uh, Andrew, I don't know about you, but I have really enjoyed um, both uh, episode number one and number two of Agronomist Edition. Uh, this has been uh, this has been really good. Yeah, I agree. It's it's uh, it's always fun to go back and, and listen to these. You know, I, I can't absorb as much as I want to while we're you know recording, but I've definitely enjoyed listening to all of, you know one and two, uh, two or three times now, just to to try and absorb from from all these great agronomists and you know what they've seen and, and what the recommendations are going into twenty twenty three. It was pretty cool. Andrew and I spent um, part of last week at the ICM conference and. It was neat to be there because a lot of people that have joined us on the show were there and, and obviously a lot of great people from Crop Protection Network and uh, Iowa State and Purdue and Nebraska. And I mean, there's people from, from kind of all over the industry and, and that was super fun to see them and, and get to connect. Um, but yeah, I hope everybody is enjoying the holidays and the planning for 2023. We're going to launch uh, the third edition of... A Penny for Your Thoughts, Agronomist Edition. Andrew, tell our listeners who they're going to get to hear from this week. So we're going to get to listen from uh, three agronomists from uh, Iowa, uh, Paige Thompson-Russ, uh, uh, Matt Nelson, uh, Catherine Rod. And then we're lucky enough to have a, an agronomist uh, that covers kind of Kansas, the Missouri, you know, Kansas and Missouri area, uh, Brian Green. Yeah, I look forward to it. Um, as always, if you guys have feedback for us or want to hear certain things we're in the process right now of discussing what uh 2023 is going to look like for a penny for your thoughts uh give us feedback at a penny for your thoughts at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you and enjoy the show and we're back with our next guest uh Paige thompson russ from right here in central iowa Paige, how are you doing good thanks for having me on so Paige, let's, let's talk about the 2022 growing season. Uh, let's, you know, it, it was, uh, obviously we were, we were pretty dry. Um, you know, we had an extremely wet spring, um, which, which probably saved us, you know, for uh, a lot of the area that didn't get those timely rains throughout the growing season. Uh, what are your, what are some of your key takeaways in 2022? Uh, it was an interesting season and, you know, covering nine counties, uh, I kind of had a divide. You know, the northern half did get some timely rains. The southern part, it was a little drier. Uh, but gosh, starting early, I mean, as far as the early vegetative growth on, say, soybeans, corn, those heavy rains caused some crusting in the fields. Um, did see a little bit of soybean replant there. And then as far as, gosh, in my northern part, we had some sandblasting of soybeans and corn also. So um, that was something to think about and some calls that I'd gotten throughout the season as far as, you know, what's this going to do? Could this bring disease in for corn and stuff like that? But yep. I would say, I don't know, one of the big things that was on the top of my mind coming off of last year's corn rootworm feeding. Oh, yeah. What, what's your, what's your, uh, you know, you, you got your, 
in that northwest, north central area where rootworm is a big problem. And we kind of had that discussion with one of the one of your counterparts uh, yesterday. What's what's that? You know, going into a, a year like this where we've had higher populations the last two years, what's what's that conversation like in, in, in your thought process of, of managing corn rootworm? And, and then also with that, you know, you got to deal with extended diapause. How's, how's that factor into the, you know, your, your, your thinking? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of questions on that, you know, coming off of last year where I had gotten probably 30, 40 calls to come out to fields to just to look at things as far as, gosh, there was a lot of beetles. There was a, the adult had a very long emergence window last year. They just kept coming and coming. But yep. um, that, re- that really adds to the, the, you know, when guys are trying to manage with a foliar insecticide, yeah. that makes it really, really hard and, and much less effective. Yeah. You know, last year I had some guys that did spray twice uh, just because of the intensity and and the amount. So, you know, coming into this year, the conversations with growers, yeah, we did talk about, you know, uh, below ground protection and and what to use there. I had a group of guys that, you know, use soil applied insecticide. Last year it worked really well. This year it it did um, have some pretty good efficacy as well. Uh, but this year was unique with corn rootworm feeding. I mean, the damage was lighter than expected yep. uh, is what I saw. Um, you know, maybe those roots, I know there was a little more moisture in my territory early than what I saw last year. And maybe with that feeding, those roots, that plant was able to recover yep. quicker this year. Um, and as far as extreme wind events, you know, I did have quite a bit last year this year they are super early yeah. so maybe that didn't expose some things but um gosh we do a lot of trapping and uh still found a lot of adults this year yeah did, did you have any situations when those wind events came through that you know i remember last year we had some of those uh same with 2020 and, and you know you start looking at some of the situations whether it's tillage practices you know just certain certain management practices that growers have that that seem to stick out when when events like that occur was there anything that stood out this year in, in regards to management practices and in, in the impact those windstorms had you know that's a that's a good question i guess i can't think of anything that comes to mind the only thing that that i've noticed and and I get it. It's not a silver bullet. Those that have been putting uh, an insecticide in with their fungicide, uh, I have seen less pressure in those corn-on-corn situations. But, um, yep. gosh, nothing comes to mind with I, management. I think I would call out, I mean, so what, one of the things that's really fun about doing these interviews and covering such a wide range of agronomists is a lot of you guys are doing an, an outstanding job of using your social media. And so one of the things I, I enjoy following you, page on, on Twitter, I, I think that one of my takeaways, and I think I could, I could back this up with your Twitter account, is the importance of scouting. Because, you know, when we talk about wind events, that's often when we're alerted to a problem that already exists, right? Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's just that's, that's just kind of revealing to us what was going on underground. And I, a couple of things I observed this summer is you had posted a couple times with, um, I think some, some large water hemp and the number of corn yeah. rootworm you were finding even, even on that water hemp plant. And so, you know, I know for oh, us, yeah. after we've talked to agronomists the last couple of days, uh, putting a real emphasis just on scouting and, and making sure that 
if we're unaware of our pressure, we're, we're spending time in the field and, you know, we're running those traps and we're doing that scouting. So we're aware of those problems when they do show up. I, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, as far as the scouting piece, piece, it does get interesting, you know, just, uh, the other day I got a call, uh, from a grower saying, you know, I just feel like my yield was off. Um, I did see some beetles during the season, but it's like I really didn't get a chance to get to my field that much. And and the field was combined. So, you know, you go out there, yeah, you can dig some root balls, but it's really hard to examine those roots to see if there's some feeding late in this season when things are starting to break down. So, gosh, yeah, if we could get out in that field, throughout the season it definitely helps tell the story at the end of the year yeah definitely and i I think i mean i think when you look at at least at least the short-term economics right now i mean the market's asking for corn right that's that's relatively Mm -hmm. obvious um and so i think that puts a burden on us as 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 sellers and agronomists to really just understand those pressures so that we um we're making really good recommendations whether that's using you know technology brought into our plants or or the insecticide i think that's important um we are in probably my favorite time of the year page which is you know we get to talk about the successes from last growing season but we're starting to put together our our plan obviously for 2023 so walk us through as you're advising sellers and farmers and they're thinking about building their cropping plan for 2023 what what considerations are you um what's kind of top of mind for you you know, top of mind for me and top of mind for some of the growers that I've visited with are, again, hate to go back to the drought piece or the lack of soil moisture that we have. Um, you know, that can change quickly. You know, it depends on what the spring brings and everything, but things are pretty dry, dry out there. Gosh, yep. I was pulling some uh, weather data in my furthest west territory and you know, last year from August, say 17th to November 7th is what I pulled. There was 12 inches of moisture this year, two wow. inches. So, I mean, it's it's something to think about. Okay, what what should I do going into a potential dry situation again? You know, do I do corn on corn? We've had such a... Um, it, it was tough with corn on corn this year. Oh, yeah. uh, saw anywhere from 30 to 50 bushel that was off. You know, should should I change some management strategies? Should I go rotate it or stay corn on corn? But gosh, you guys, I just, I really still feel like you should, you know, consider not changing anything too drastically, yeah. you know, as far as what, what you typically do year in, year out. Cause, cause you just never know, but that, that's been a big conversation piece. Um, yeah. It's interesting you bring that up Paige, because I feel like that's been a theme, you know, it, it seems like agronomists feel a certain amount of appropriate burden to advise farmers well. And obviously when we get into extreme environments, right, then we crank the pressure up on you guys to, to predict the future. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I, I like, wish I could. <laughs> I like, I like though the idea of, you know, put together your best plan, take economics and, and mother nature in, but, but still stick with that, um, I, you know, character of the farm or, or, or the tradition you have in the farm, because yeah. that's what we're the best at. And, and like you said, it can change quick, but, you know, we have a yeah. ton of resources, um, in terms of knowing how to place the right technologies on the right acres and, and then to manage some of those in season pressures. So, uh, I really, uh, I really appreciate that 
kind of stick to itness. I think that's yeah. important because I don't think it's ever in our best interest to plan for the worst case scenario. I think we want to want to plan for the yeah. best case and then manage through whatever we're dealt. Yep. Yeah. You you know what's really interesting? Um, okay, so the past couple of years, two to three seasons, we've had this whole significant edge effect, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yep. Absolutely. It. It has been interesting. The last couple of weeks, I've had conversations with growers and they're actually considering to changing, you know, what they're planting to what their neighbor is because they're taking such a huge hit on this edge effect. And um, again, every year's different, but we, we've seen that edge effect pretty, pretty yeah. significant the past couple of years. So I've, I've found that interesting yeah it, this this was you know as long as i've been doing this 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 was by far the worst year i've seen that edge effect in in mm-hmm. corn and you, you look back at at some of the i mean you go into into 2022 you know we we were extremely short on on the water that we count on in the soil right and and you look back mm-hmm. at 2021 we we were short but not as short as we were coming into this year right so I, I just keep thinking if we didn't get those April rains, what think what what it could have been like, oh, yeah. right? But yeah. yeah, that edge effect that that's a huge topic, and and I've had a number of growers even when when corn was still green, you know, at the R two R three stage, you know, do the do the fifty five mile an hour drive by and be like, whoa, what's wrong with my corn? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And uh, having to go out there and you know, as soon as you get eighteen to twenty four rows in there, it looks fine. But it, yeah. it, it was really bad this year. And then, and then you look at some of the other situations like corn on corn, you factor that in on top of it. You know, there, there was there was 50 to 50 bushel to 50 percent swings on the edge effect versus in the field. So, you know, I, I saw guys sh- shoot me screenshots of 100 bushel differences yeah. on the edge. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And, you know, I get the question, where did this come from? I feel like we've just been talking about it. And as when you look at, you know, the past weather data, when have we had like an extreme, extreme heat and a lot of wind, intense wind in like July, June to July? I mean, it's we've we've had that a lot more the past couple of years. So I'd, um, I'd be curious to see, you know, you mentioned the weather data. I'd be curious to see how many years in a row we've, we've encountered drought stress like this. You know, mm-hmm. obviously we've been through drought, but how many years in a row have we been that short on moisture consistently throughout the summer, spring, fall? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, is, you know, you look at the impact that that April rain had on us. Um, yeah, that, that's that's kind of something I'd like to look at and dig, dig deeper into. It's, it's interesting, Paige, when you talk about, you know, potentially rotating a field because of the edge effect. My mind immediately goes to field structure has a lot to do with that, right? A thin, mm-hmm. a thin, a thin long field versus, you know, maybe a large square field. The economic yeah. impact is going to be drastically different. I know we spent some time dissecting a couple fields that were, you know, skinny 60s or skinny 80s where you just had so much border and you sit there and go, oh my goodness, it's almost not economical to put corn on this if I don't have protection on the edges. Um, but you're the first person that's brought that up that maybe it would be a good consideration to ask our, our neighbors what their plan is and, and see if we have some built-in protection. So that's great. Um, yeah. As we wrap up, Paige, give us Give us any other takeaways or anything else you want our our listeners to kind of be thinking about as they plan their 2023 crop. Yeah, yeah. I think fungicide use is a big one for me, um, especially in corn. You know, again, every year is going to be different. Um, 
I really started seeing disease ramp up around R3, but those fields that did have a tassel or R1 application of fungicide, I mean, you name it, any timing, those that did have that protected it very, very well. I mean, gosh, I don't even know if I want to go here, but, you know, on the disease side of things, car spot is starting <laughs> to move over. Oh, yep. yeah. To us, and um, it mostly came in late. It came in late enough where I really feel like it didn't cause any issues for us. Came in late August 15th. I did have a f- couple of fields. I saw it at the beginning of July, but nothing transpired until we got really dewy. The temperature changed a little bit uh, and it started to come in. But gosh, the, the hybrids uh, took it pretty darn well. But like I said, back to the fungicide piece, I just think it's a great, um, great to protect the crops with that. Yeah. seems like every year we can, something comes up. Yep. I think the tar spot thing is interesting because it's, it's, it's kind of the thing that's on everyone's radar, right? Mm-hmm. Every, everyone is aware of it. And I was laughing when we, when we've been doing these, I bet we've spent about 30% of the <laughs> life of our podcast talking about tar spot, but that shows you how front and center it is for all of our growers, oh, yeah. right? I mean, all growers and all agronomists know we have to manage all of the other stresses, but we better be, uh, we better be, uh, really aware of, of what's going on with tar spot, but Paige, super appreciate you joining us today. Um, we have we have made it a point um, to express uh, gratitude towards people for different things, and I I really do appreciate the way that you use your Twitter account. I think it is it's it's really valuable for us to get to see what's happening kind of all over the corn belt. And so appreciate the time and energy you put into, you know, just sharing what you're seeing in the field and, and uh, keeping us up to date that that's really valuable for, um, for everybody, uh, everybody watching. And and we'll certainly share social media information when we post the podcast, but appreciate you taking time to join us today. Well, thank you very much. And I I appreciate the opportunity. So thank you. Thank you, Paige. See ya. See ya. Well, uh, I am excited to introduce our next guest, and I think, Andrew, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think this is, is this our first repeat guest on A Penny for Your Thoughts? I, bl- I believe it is. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I think so. We have, uh, <laughs> we have Matt Nelson uh, back with us, and, and Matt, really appreciate the time you spent with us. I think maybe that was our third or fourth episode. We've, we've learned a lot <laughs> about podcasting uh, and a little bit about agriculture, but appreciate you taking time to join us today. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. You guys must be uh, guns for punishment asking me to come back on a second time. I appreciate it. <laughs> You'd be surprised how many people reject Andrew's phone calls. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, this is kind of just an attrition rate at this point. So, <laughs> um, Just for those listeners that, that maybe didn't catch your episode, uh, tell our listeners who you are and what your role is and where you support. Absolutely. So I am a technical agronomist with Bayer Crop Science. I work with the channel brand and cover... 13 counties kind of between the interstate and just north of Highway 30, so right in central Iowa. And my background is more is more weed science and, and crop protection, but um, love all aspects of agronomy and, and have a real passion for it. I have, I have really enjoyed, Matt, you and, you and I hadn't actually met in person, um, but, but Matt's another great example, I think, for our listeners to uh, follow on social media. I like the way, um, Matt, that you keep everybody up to date with what you're seeing, but I also encourage 
you know, people to kind of think outside the box and, and, uh, you know, just, just be progressive in their thinking about agriculture. I know for me, it's been, um, it's been really fun to follow you and learn from you and, and, and see what you're seeing, you know, maybe through a different lens. So definitely appreciate that. And we'll, we'll certainly, um, get our listeners connected with your social media, but to start off, I guess, um, you know, our goal is to understand what, what was Matt Nelson looking at in 2022? Uh, what were you trying to learn and what did you learn? Excellent questions to start out with. And uh, I guess a couple of the, the big areas I was curious to learn more as we progress from 21 and, and even taking back to 20 was a couple of things, right? So our summer weather pattern, was it going to continue with what personally I've seen the last at least two seasons, which is um, cool, wet, early, uh, intense periods of drought, intense periods of heat, followed by kind of a break, right? A tipping point, whether that's mid-August or early September where the weather flips and yep. it cools off, a lot of rain comes in. I was curious to see if that pattern would, would repeat itself uh, I was also curious to see uh, what was going to happen with soybean yields. We've had a lot of people examining different maturities, maybe shifting around when they plant, um, looking at a little bit more management than we're used to in soybeans. So I was curious to see how that played out. Um, and I was also just curious to see uh, on, the, on the corn side, going back to that management-wise, kind of, again, same, same path as soybeans, uh, were some of the trends we saw last year in terms of fertility, crop protection, fungicide, um, you know, paying dividends, were those going to continue into, into 2022? And I guess to just kind of circle back to the first one and tell you guys what, what I've learned as I've, I've spent a lot of time here the last two weeks trying to put my thoughts together. And I think weather pattern wise, John and Andrew, that we, we've, we saw once again this year, what we've seen uh, for the last several years, enough repeatedness of it where I think it's, it's the pattern, right? Or at least trend if, if nothing else where yeah. we, we maybe have a, a bit of a struggle to get in the ground um and then for you know we get some nice weather and then it the moisture just turns off in in most of june all of july and the first part of august this year it was really about the 15th of august when that flipped and i went back and looked at seasonal rainfall from across my territory sean and I, one thing that i thought was eye-opening was there were there were parts of central iowa that did not get rain from really june 10th june 12th all the way through mid to the end of August. Yeah. And that it's, is a that is a crucial part of the current season to go without noticing. <laughs> yeah, a little it's, bit, huh? Yeah, most <laughs> most of it. It's amazing to me. I mean I mean my my home farm where we're sitting right now talking to you, Matt, which is frankly what, ten miles away from your place. I mean, we had very little. I, I don't think it was it was no rain. But from the fourth of July until the farm progress show, I don't think we had measurable rain on our farm. Uh, correct. And I, I've really seen that. Uh, it really depends on where you were at. And, and I guess to add to that, Sean, that the hyper localness of the rain, right, made a lot of zip code to zip code variation. Yep. That's the term I've used all summer oh, yeah. is more zip code to zip code variation that I've seen in a while. Yeah. Kind of, kind of like 2020, right? You know, 2020, even this year, or sorry, 2021, you, you would hear uh, growers having fields within a mile of each other, getting a, a quarter of an inch or a tenth of an inch of rain. And then that, that other field, you know, half a mile away didn't get anything. Yep. So I, I think we continue to see just highly variable uh, rainfall with, within counties. So Matt, when you, when you observe that trend, because I think, I think that's something that we came into the year too. What, what, what were your takeaways or what were your, um, how did you adjust management recommendations based on that? So, so knowing that we have a harder time, it seems like with 
early planting conditions and then and then knowing there's a high likelihood of some drought stress throughout the summer what what were you what were you making management recommendations around yeah that's a great question right so again what i said on the when i was on here the first time as an agronomist you have to give a recommendation when you diagnose a problem and i that's what i tried to do going into this year so a couple things right this is going to sound backwards, so I'm going to get out in front of it, right? As someone who works for a seed company, recommending a bit lower population. And I know those farmers out there say, no, he, he, can, he can't have really recommended that. But the truth is, we saw that this year, right? If you were trying to plant 40,000 plants per acre, 39,000 plants per acre in an area where you got nine inches of seasonal rainfall, it, it just didn't work. There was yeah. too much stress on those plants. So that was one. Um, certainly hybrid selection, right? Looking at uh, not just drought tolerance, but... Um, if you used a product that maybe didn't, wasn't as good drought-wise, did you place it on an acre where you can hold a little bit more moisture, where your organic matter is higher and your soil is more conducive? So looking at not only drought tolerance, but um, because there are some products that maybe aren't rated super high for drought tolerance, but can still handle stress well. So overall, just placing products on the right acres. Um, and then uh, for me, kind of nuts and bolts, you know, agronomy, crop production 101, you have to do the basic things right if it's going to be stressful. Uh, fertility number one and I, I guess maybe even more important than that making sure that you planted in proper conditions and i think it's actually one of my learnings for next year we, we failed to do that in some places across central iowa probably across the state andrew and sean and and those those failures really showed up in a more pronounced way because we were so dry yeah you know one, one of the things matt that that we're interviewing uh, a lot of agronomists from a wide geography and our goal, our goal obviously is to challenge the thinking of growers and, and promote, you know, progressive agriculture or progressive cropping system techniques, but also to, to pick up trends. And I think you are the fourth or fifth agronomist that has called out uh, the importance of planting conditions. And the, the variability that we saw uh, was, was incredible. The fields that it was done right on and in good conditions uh, to where maybe we made, made mistakes, whether that was the wrong planting date or maybe not having equipment, you know, uh, set the right way for the conditions. And it, and it was pretty radical. Um, so, so it's interesting, you know, when, when we're talking from Kansas to Illinois and everywhere in between to hear agronomists all kind of making those, those same observations. And frankly, it seems like whether you're too wet or too dry, or anywhere in the middle, uh, that's a constant, right? We have to get that portion of um, our operation correct. As you as you think about Matt, kind of, so the things you learned in 2022, and now you you were telling us before the call that you're um, putting together kind of your learnings. What are, what are your? Give me a few of your key takeaways that you're encouraging growers to think about as they plan for 2023. Oh, excellent question. So one of the one of these. Sean, I harp on every year, and that is risk management in terms of maturity, oh, yeah. um, both in corn and soybeans. So with that weather pattern that I mentioned, right, if we're going to continue to stay dry in July and August, you need your crops to be alive and able to take advantage of good conditions when they arrive. And if that is not until the end of August, which it's, has not been the last, you know, if that's been the case the last three or four years, you've got to vary your maturities so that you've got products that aren't doing the bulk of their reproductive growth and fill during those horribly dry periods from the end, the mid, mid, mid July through mid to the end of August. So yep. that means getting a little bit more full season on some of your soybean acres um, and maybe planting those early in front of corn. I think just as an anecdote, some of the best soybean year fields that I've heard of uh, this year came from guys who have two planters and one that, that plants soybean all the time. And I know that's not doable for every operation, but I think 
even on corn, right, can we spread maturity around to make sure that we, if we get stressed, say, at pollination, like we did this year in mid-July, uh, we have products flowering over 10 days, so we don't all catch the same stress. So that's that's one of the first things. Um, a second, corn on corn. Corn on corn was very tough this year. That's one of my biggest learnings. It's not uncommon to see corn on corn be 60 to even 80 bushels off, yep. and not just my area, but the state in general. So a couple of reasons for that, right? That's that slow warm up in the spring that I talked about. That affects mineralization. So in 23, I, I've really been encouraging people to start thinking about, I know starter is hard to do on large acres, but maybe side dress or a weed and feed. While that, that nitrogen is tied up by your soil microbes, can you add some more nitrogen into the equation to, to benefit your crops early on? Um, that's, that's big. And then residue management. Do we need to think about um, shorter season hybrids? If, you're, if you want to stay corn on corn, to try to give that residue more time to break down in the fall? Do you start to consider uh, strip tillage? There, there are ways over time you can start to try to address that, but the easiest way, obviously, is to rotate uh, rotate back to soybeans. And then the, the last one is, if it's going to be stressful, like it's been the last few summers, the more fertility you have out there, the easier it is, you know, say we're not able to get much water, but if there's a bigger source of, of those nutrients available, the more is going to trickle to those plants with what little moisture you have. So I think yep. I really saw a lot of penalty this year to not having adequate fertility, which sounds, again, sounds odd in a dry year, but the, the literature shows the drier it is, the more that that lack of fertility hurts. So uh, I think that's my last one. I, I think I think that's, I mean, two two things that are excellent call-outs there, you know, so, so the nitrogen, early season nitrogen, I think, is something, you know, we've been really focused on the nitrogen cycle of the corn plant and applying nitrogen when the plant needs it. But I, I think that's a really good way to look at if we are struggling with early season conditions. You know, so, some years, it, it seems like starter, at least in central Iowa, has kind of gotten a bad reputation, you know, because it's like, yeah, my plant looks better, but it doesn't necessarily translate to yield at the end of the season. But certainly if if a trend is that we're struggling to get that corn really going quickly, I could definitely see where um, where there could be a benefit from that. And then the fertility piece, I think, is a is a really good observation, especially given the price of fertility, right? So the, the tendency would would be to shy away a little bit during, um, you know, maybe some of these heavy input um, or higher input uh, seasons of time we're in. And so I think that's a really good call out as well that, that you know, it's a very dangerous time to put your plant in a deficit. Um, and certainly finding that line could be very, very costly. So I, I, I think that's an excellent point. Um, so, so Matt, as we wrap up, the, the final question I would ask is, you know, you, you kind of brought up uh, drought stress and, and maybe some of the variable rains we've seen the last two years. As, as we go into 2023 and you're talking with growers, what's, what's your thoughts? What would you recommend a grower who would, who would ask you, you know, how do, how do I plan for 2023 in regards to products? You know, do we, do we plan for products that, that are maybe a little bit better on drought stress? What's your thoughts on that? Do, do, you, do you still shoot for the moon or do you maybe uh, plan, plan for a, a drought and, and hope for the best? Yeah, it's a, it's a fine line to walk. And as an agronomist, right, this is where I'm supposed to say it depends, right, Andrew? Um, <laughs> it, it depends. So I think the, the, the number one thing that I've learned over the years is um, when you're placing products for those tougher acres, right? So if you're going with may, maybe it's a product that is a drought specialist or an agronomic specialist but doesn't have quite the yield, there is a fine line to walk there because ultimately – if you do have good conditions, that product now on your best acres is not going to produce as much. Yep. You're, you're better off 
yes, picking products overall that have good drought tolerance, but products that can still help you maximize the yield on those best soils in case we do get a better weather year. And I think that's something that kind of gets lost. And we've got to be really careful about just selecting for drought tolerance or products that can really handle tougher acres because we still want them to perform on our best soil. Yep. Well said. I I, I totally agree. Uh, Definitely a tricky line, but uh, good advice. Uh, Matt, uh, really appreciate your time once again. Uh, Love having you be our first guest to be on twice. (laughs) So we we definitely appreciate that and uh, look forward to having you on again at some point. Well, you guys keep up the great work. I, I love listening to to the podcast and uh, really enjoyed your last one on uh, on Crown Rod. I learned a lot listening to it. So, thanks for putting this content out there. Yeah, I wish I wish we didn't uh, I wish we didn't need to know as much about Crown Rod as it feels like we need to know after last <laughs> year. Here. But uh, um, yeah, Tamra was Tamra was incredible. Is is really good. So, uh, Matt, appreciate it. Uh, have a have a great uh, great fall, and I'm sure we'll have you back soon. And four, thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks. Thanks, Matt. Well, hey, welcome back. Uh, our next guest is uh, Brian Green uh, from, uh, I think, representing actually a little bit of Missouri in Kansas, if I'm right, huh, Brian? Yes, that is correct. <laughs> I, official territory is, yeah, northeast Kansas, northwest Missouri, two states. Great, great. Well, uh, Brian, tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, you mentioned the territory. Uh, let us know what you do and uh, where you're from. Yeah, yeah. So, so Brian Green, um, technical dramas for Decap and Asgore Brands, and, you know, called out the territory. Um, been in this role here for a couple of years, started in September of 2020, uh, graduated from Kansas State University uh, with a, a agronomy degree. Um, right after K-State, I, I came straight to eastern Kansas and spent almost seven years in ag retail. You know, did everything from just basic uh, loading out fertilizer and chemical to crop scouting and then worked my way through precision agriculture and then eventually got into a little bit more of a managerial role overseeing uh, all of our sales agronomists and you know that eventually led me to the, this role today nice Excellent. nice well we appreciate you joining us and we're kind of so what we're doing we did a we did a grower edition of a penny for your thoughts our podcast and we just really enjoyed the process of kind of understanding what growers uh, had tested and trialed in, in 2022 and then ultimately what their takeaways were. So I guess if you would take us back to 2022 planning and what you were hoping to learn, um, especially if there was any special practices you were trying or, or, or different cropping theories, um, and, and tell us how those things went for you. Yeah, you know, 2020 was, I think every year we always say this, every year is always something different, right? I, I don't know if you can say we have a... <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> right? This this was another one of them. Um, for us here locally, the last couple of years, April's have been very hard. Uh, we've been abnormally cool, uh, extremely wet, um, a lot of heavy, heavy pounding rains, and that's delayed planting for us, you know, Typically, first part of April, we're starting corn and, you know, beans end of April through May and in June. And, uh, you know, with, with that being said, the last couple of years, a lot of our growers have, have kind of kicked around the idea of maybe planting soybeans earlier. Yep. Um, some of that is, or most of that is, you know, obviously trying to capture that, that next genetic bushel, you know, and, and increase their yields. And maybe by going a little earlier in the season, we can capture more. Um, you know, those, those longer nighttime temps try to, try to increase our yields. And so this year, uh, even after a little bit of a delayed start, we had a pretty tremendous amount of early planted soybeans, you know, in that 
first couple weeks there in April. And for the most part, it's been a little variable to try to understand results from a lot of these growers that tried it, um, just just due to how this growing conce- growing season kind of progressed. You know, like I said, cool and, and wet early, then hit spells of extremely hot and dry. Had had her own bout of or uh, spell of, of drought that yeah. happened, and got some more rain, and then pretty much August through uh, now, we just haven't had much rain since, and so. I, I, it was kind of some mixed signals. I think some things that growers learned, um, I guess I'm going to say the hard way, was <laughs> by beans early. That definitely puts more of a workload on their farming operation. Yep. You know, if, if you just don't have the manpower and the equipment to fully handle, you know, both corn and beans at the same time, whether you're harvesting, uh, spraying for weeds, fertilizer, everything else. Um, so, I mean, there were, there were some success stories. I, I do think there's some growers that were able to capture a little bit higher yield potential, but I would imagine probably this next year, I, I, I think we'll see, uh, assuming we have the right, uh, planting conditions, I, I think we'll see some, some more early planted beans again. Um, but I, I do think this kind of opened up some, some growers eyes as to maybe why we haven't been doing that <laughs> for, for many, many years. Over over the past four or five years, that's been a hot topic of conversation, and um, we we have a seed dealership here in Central Iowa, and it's funny because we started, uh, you know, promoting that concept of let's run earlier soybeans and let's wait for ideal conditions on corn, and we never really thought about the infrastructure uh, challenges that that would create because historically we planted our corn usually there was a a gap and then we'd start treating soybeans and planting, and all of a sudden it was like we had half of our half our customer base doing one, the other half doing the opposite. We hadn't really thought through what that would mean for the business. So there was a couple of springs where there was a lot of scrambling to keep up with the, <laughs> you know, with the farmer in the field. Um, what about corn? Tell us, tell us about the corn growing season and, and what are you learning on the uh, corn side? You know, corn for the most part um, had a, had a fairly successful year. Um, so, you know, same thing. It's with with our Aprils, kind of the way they've been, we've had a lot of, especially south of I-70 here in, in eastern Kansas and in western Missouri, um, we've, we have had some some issues where just heavy saturating loss of nitrogen. You know, once a corn plant kind of starts off rough, turns yellow, it, it's always hard to try to rebound from that, you know, to finish strong. And, you know, for the most part, I, I would say um, some practices that, uh, you know, not, not eye-opening or, or, or groundbreaking, but just more of the importance of fungicide and uh, maybe some nutrient management. Uh, we have we have more producers that are getting into that every single year. Yep. You know, just value of that um, versus you know maybe just waiting until you see like a disease pop up or you see uh, you know nitrogen deficiency or, or potash deficiency out there. Um, so quite a few growers that are that are making the investment in you know let's say equipment um, to do some strip till you know things like that. Yep. Um, so far, I think it's paying really good dividends. So, um, you know, as an agronomist, I, I, it excites me just just to see, you know, uh, growers that um, want to try to take that next step to, to continue to increase their yield potential or give them the opportunity to increase it. Yeah. Brian, you, you kind of mentioned strip till, and I, I know representing Kansas and Missouri, you, you have a little bit different environmental conditions and, and maybe droughts uh, and, and heat are, are a little bit more consistent factors in, in your area. Um, do, do you have, what, what's your, what's your status on, on reduced tillage and, and strip till around there? You know, we were, for most of this territory, it, it's pretty big no-till. 
I mean, don't get me wrong. We still have, you know, countless acres that are, that are conventional, but um, I think for the most part, especially in the last, I'd say 10 years, I have seen quite a few growers that have, that have adopted um, you know, at least a, a minimum till uh, maybe not going full no till type system. Um, I think these growers have uh, really seen the benefit of, of not only just moisture retention, yep. uh, or maybe, um, uh, I mean, that's one of the big ones, but we control the one too, right? I mean, in a no-till system, you know, it, it, it obviously takes a little bit more um, chemistry to, to try to control weeds versus putting some iron and, and some diesel out there in the field. <laughs> I like that. I, like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think with at least, you know, today's products that we have and, and um, you know, a lot of the mixes anyways that, that are being put out there, you know, you're talking six, seven, eight different products that are going into a tank. Um, growers have seen a lot of the benefits of, you know, using no-till and, and cover crops have been a, a big part of that too. You know, that's still a little bit of a slower adoption, um, but it seems like every year it's, it's a big conversation. You see more growers using even just a simple, you know, just rye uh, mixture just to put out in their farm to, to try to help them with some, you know, winter annuals, things like that. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, when we wrap our normal weekly podcast, we do what's called cashing in our penny. Um, that is uh, that is how I extract the key takeaways from Andrew. Um, give me give me your give me your one or two key takeaways from twenty twenty two for our listeners. You know, I, I think one of the one of the biggest takeaways I have is I know we all we all have growers that are very analytical and technical. Um, they're always trying to fine tune these little things to to try to increase their on farm yield uh, potential. Um, we actually, uh, when I say we, uh, one of our CBAs, Clayton Mai, um, he has a CBA customer, and they did a, a very interesting trial. And I'm going to just give a high level overview. Uh, the trial was set up to try to understand um, compaction underneath the seed tank, and then also oh, yeah. and. Uh, at the end, when we were analyzing results, you know, it was a very long process. Due to the dry conditions we had at planting in this field, um, the initial the initial goal, we, we didn't quite get, you know, the negative effects that we were looking for. But we were able to at least pull some valuable nuggets out of this trial. And the biggest one that, that we noticed was um, seeding depth. I mean, we, I think as, as technical agronomists, we understand that very but this grower has a high-speed um, uh, planter. Uh, he planted this field at 10 miles an hour. Um, he's getting perfect plant spacing throughout. But one thing we notice is that under the rows, uh, under like, more weight, right? So with that seed tank on there, um, that was pushing his row cleaners down uh, deeper. And he was, he was throwing more trash out versus the wings of the planter, uh, mm-hmm. which wasn't as much, right? Well, this, this planter is unique because he has both hydraulic upforce and downforce set up. Yep. And so looking at uh, these, you know, the data at the end, he, he was able to pull away that, okay, under my seat tank, I, I need to adjust even more, you know, upforce, try to try to bring those road cleaners up a little bit more and on the wings, maybe push them down a little bit more. So kind of a, a long story to a, to a takeaway, but it's today's technology is great, right? It, it, it has definitely advanced us in many ways, but it's those fine little things that you maybe don't think about, especially when you go from farm to farm, uh, from a morning to an evening, you know, planting soil temperatures, uh, soil moisture, and even topography, yep. you know. So just continue to really try to understand every single aspect you can, especially for those growers that 
you know, they're just at this point where they're just trying to fine tune every last little aspect. Yeah. I, th- I think that's a, a really good call out, Brian. You know, we, we've uh, in- encountered some extremely dry conditions during planting here last year. And I saw a lot of uh, exactly what you're talking about. And I think the more we can learn as agronomists and, and educate growers uh, on that topic, the, the better off we'll all be. And, and I think a lot of growers assume they're buying a new, you know, half a million to three quarters of a million dollar planter <laughs> yeah. and it's just ready to plant and, and you can plant into anything and everything. And, and I think yeah. a lot of times that's just not the case, you know, per, yeah. per your example. So I, th- I think that's a really good call out. Well, and I, yeah. I, I think, I think as I listen to that story, the, the concept that comes to my mind is the devil's in the details, right? I mean, we're doing such a great job as an industry of putting great products in the market, understanding fit, placement, all those things, but we still have to get the little details right. The the perfect hybrid on the perfect field, if it's not planted right, is still at a disadvantage. And, and so I like, Brian, your comment about fine-tuning all the little details, that to me is something I've thought a lot about. You know, we've we've produced some tremendous crops in less than ideal conditions. And I think it's because as an industry, we're doing a better and better job at paying attention to those, to what the, what seem like little details, but actually are probably the things that are allowing us to really hit some of these impressive numbers. So it's a really good call out. Exactly. And, and just because you can, you know, just because you can't, <laughs> Or doesn't necessarily mean you should, right? Yeah, well, well said. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, Brian, we really appreciate you joining us today. I uh, hope you guys have a great rest of fall and uh, and and planning for 2023. Thanks for taking time for us. Yes, definitely. Appreciate it, guys. Yeah. Thanks, Brian. All right. So we're back with our uh, next guest, uh, Catherine Rod uh, from Iowa. So, uh, Catherine, how are you doing? Good. How are you guys? Very, very good. Uh, excited to have another fellow pathologist on here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine, so, tell us uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, and uh, what your role is. Yeah, so um, I am originally from northern Illinois. I grew up on a grain farm there. Um, and then I went to the University of Illinois for my bachelor's in crop science. And then I stuck around Illinois for a master's. So I got a master's in basically soybean breeding and soybean plant pathology, looking at uh, seedling diseases and uh, genetic resistance for that. Uh, Decided I still wanted to stay in school. So I ended up going to the University of Kentucky for a PhD. I did that in agronomy and plant pathology as well. Um, There I did winter wheat and double crop soybean rotation management and pathology work there. Um, graduated in 2020 and then started my career, um, with bear crop science out in Nebraska, um, in their, uh, their Gothenburg learning center there. So I worked with growers in Nebraska and Kansas, uh, learning dryland agriculture. So basically and... you're the drought expert now, huh? <laughs> Yes and no. <laughs> it's funny. You, you just I mentioned just, Gothenburg I just, and I immediately just think drought resistance. Yeah. They, there's a lot of water management work that happens out there. And it really, I, I had grown up and I'd always been in rain, rain fed country, yep. right? Illinois, Kentucky, um, even Iowa, that going to learn about dry land agriculture and the Great Plains and irrigation and how much water plays a role in plant growth and development was really interesting. 
um, just from not having grown up around it. Right. Yep. Um, so I really enjoyed my six months out there and then, um, started this role in Iowa about two years ago. Uh, and it's brought me back to the Midwest and the I States. <laughs> and so I am, I'm currently in, uh, Northeast Iowa. That's where I cover. Um, yep. if you cut the state in quadrants, I'm in the Northeast corner, Northeast portion on the southern side of it okay nice well we we definitely appreciate you being on here and uh look look forward look forward to hearing uh you know from from any lessons that you've learned from 22 uh 2022 so so i figure we start you know as as we go into as we went into 2022 um you know it we followed one of the one of the better crop growing seasons that we had in, in 2020 2021 um, you know, going into to this year, was was there anything you 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 carried with you from 2021, or, or maybe a new new practice or something new that you were looking at uh, going into this year? Uh, going into this year, um, so in 21, my area we were drier than normal, um, and going into this year. Uh, we were really looking at our soil uh, moisture deficits and building yep. those back up. Um, so then that leads you to, you know, what does your spring tillage look like? Um, is there ways, it was there stuff that we couldn't do last fall because it was too dry that we could do this spring. Um, and then we were hit with a cool wet spring as well. And the one thing that I really noticed this spring, once we got going, was uh soil microbe activity was a lot slower this year yep and you know so that like how well did your your herbicides metabolize right how well did your nitrogen stick around or do the microbes uh basically check your nitrogen and you know your nitrogen availability yep um just things like that i saw a much bigger presence this year based on the weather patterns we had in 21 and then the cool wet spring of 22 yeah. I, I think that's a really good call out. You know, you look at the spring we had and, you know, you look at the, the, the nitrogen cycle, which can, you know, people spend their whole careers looking at nitrogen management. So that can get pretty complicated. But yeah, definitely, you know, that's the, the, the spring rains that we had, you know, it, it was pretty safe to say that that most growers in our area, you know, in, and in the state, you know, after those spring rains, nitrogen, you know, it, it was probably safe to assume that we lost a, a percentage of our nitrogen, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you look at that process of, of nitrification, denitrification. Absolutely. We, we definitely lost some. So I, I think thinking about uh, what we can do in season and, and the impact that that spring rain had, you know, I, th- I think had a lot of growers asking the question, you know, should I be side dressing, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. And how how can I better this for 23, right? Like what can I learn from 22 and the nitrogen that I had available or not available and how will that affect 23 as well? Yeah. Yep. So, so as we think about that, you know, you, you brought up nitrogen, which was a good point. What, was there anything else that you noticed in 2022 that, that maybe stood out in regards to management practices or, you know, the timing of a fungicide application or the timing of a post application? In, anything else that you think stuck out in, in 2022 that, that you think was a, a lesson learned? Yeah. So 2022, at least again for Northeast Iowa, we had more rain compared to the rest of the state. And with that brought tar spot. Oh yeah. Um, we had. Were you in heaven? 
Yes and no. As a pathologist, I loved it. And I love seeing how, how it could work and just how fast it can take over. Like, it's both a blessing and a curse. And then as the agronomist farmer, you're like, oh, no, now <laughs> it's here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, tar spot was on our radar. We did have tar spot infection in 21, but it came in late. And by late, I mean, like, September. And for the most part, we were basically done grain filling at that point in 21. So in 22, we knew we had it, but we really need to keep an eye on it. Um, and we started finding it, I'd say probably mid-July, but it was only a lesion here or there. So it wasn't bad. Yeah. Excuse me. And then, um, so most of our fungicide applications went on still at that R1 BT timing. So late July, early August. But there were some cases where we were starting to see an uptick in severity and incidence and severity of tar spot um, right around that like second week of August timeframe. And the thing we got to think about is that early to mid August, probably more like mid August, we had, I'm going to call it the August fog. So our temperatures were in the eighties during the day, 65 at night. We had a lot of dew on the leaves. Um, the plants were still wet at like 1 p.m. as you walked fields. Yep. And with tar spot, you know, they need seven to eight hours of leaf wetness for those spores to infect. Yep. And then once they infect, they just start going to town, basically, right? Yep. And so we really had the prime conditions for infection um, during those times. And so a lot of guys were putting on their fungicide last week of July, first week of August. And so we were hoping we had applied our fungicide at the right time just to help keep it at bay because we knew um, it could definitely be a problem with the weather conditions we were having. Uh, so we did that. And then uh, depending on the late August, first of September timeframe, that's when the debate started of, do I need a second fungicide application? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> that fun debate. And so um, some guys did and some guys didn't because we weren't sure. You know, a fungicides, for the most part, you have 28 to 21, 28, 33 days of efficacy, depending on the product you use. Yep. And depending on when you applied it, you did the first of August, so it protected you through all of August. Is that enough to get us through grain fill towards the end of September? And the thing is, is we planted late this year. We planted like Mother's Day versus Easter or, you know, um, April. Yep. So where was our corn developmentally at that time, too? Are yep. we dull? Are we dent? How much longer do we have to go? What's my maturity? You know, all these different factors that play a role in this because there's not one right answer with tar spot. Yep. Um, so some guys did a second pass. Some guys said, I'm going to roll the dice and let it go. Um, it all just kind of depended on what your risk level was, what you felt comfortable with, and what your goal was trying to learn for 23 and beyond is. Because yeah. tar spot's not going away. So might as well learn what we can in 22 especially with higher grain prices so you, it's 
guys are more likely to spend the money on the second fungicide app now at six dollar corn versus three dollar corn. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> so, so I'm curious, so let's, Catherine. Let's take that opportunity to try and learn something here. Yeah, I'm curious. You said you were from uh, Illinois, right? Yeah. So what's uh, back home on the farm? What's what's the tar spot like there versus your your territory in northeast Iowa? Here. Yeah. So I, so the family is from North Central Illinois. So basically, I thirty nine and north of eighty. Um, and so they got it when tar spot tar spot started popping up in 2015, 2016. Yep. Um, and it wasn't that bad this year at home. Um, I, they did not have the August fogs like we did here, um, in that Northeast Iowa, especially around the, uh, Mississippi river yeah. and even like Northwest Illinois, which is around the Mississippi river, they had tar spot worse than like North central Illinois. Same yep. thing can be said for Eastern Iowa to central Iowa. Right. Yep. Um, so they had it, the fungicide application kept it at bay, and they carried on with their growing season, um, like a lot of people did in Iowa. However, sometimes in that northeast quadrant that we had, it kept, fungicide kept it at bay for a while, and then it just took over. Yeah. Um, I have multiple fields where, yes, we did put on a fungicide application, but we went back in September and like mid September and wow, it really took over. Yeah. Right. And it, I lost, we lost a lot of green tissue. Plants started dying early. Um, so yeah, like it was kind of hit or miss, but um, tar spot was definitely a, a big pressure we had and yep. something that is still on everybody's mind that we really need to start learning as much as we can because this is a problem that's not going to go away. Yeah, agreed. Well, Catherine, uh, I, def- I definitely appreciate the time and, and love love the insight uh, that you brought us. Um, as, as we wrap up, is, is there anything else as as you look back on 2022 that you, that you would recommend growers think about and, and maybe think about? Uh, you know, just uh, when it, when it comes to management decisions for 2023. Yeah, I would. Um, I would pay attention to how your field performed this year. What was your disease pressure? What um, what type of fungicide did you use? Was it a one mode of action, a two mode of action, a three mode of action fungicide? Um, the other one I would also suggest is what is your insect pressure? And yep. for that, I'm really talking about corn rootworm. Did you notice down corn while you were combining? Yep. Um, why did it go down? Just start start evaluating what you did this year and start thinking about practices for next year, you know, um, nitrogen application this fall versus this spring. Should I split apply and do some in season? Um, I should, should you pencil out one or two fungicide applications depending on where you're at and your disease pressure and what you think might be next year. Um, and then don't forget about corn rootworm. If you're in corn rootworm country, Yep. Uh, the roots take up a lot of water and nitrogen and nutrients that they're just as important as green leaf tissue. Yep. And you, you made the comment uh, when we were talking about fungicide that, you know, $6 corn, it's a lot easier to learn uh, some of these things than, than maybe it is at $3 corn, right? The fungicide conversation is going to be a lot less fun if, if we have 
$3 corn. And, and I think as I hear you say, you know, consider your nitrogen, consider your fertility, consider your fungicide and insect management. You know, I think I think we need to really promote the idea that that although input prices are high, so are commodity prices. And it's a great time to have conversations around um, both efficiency, but ultimately yield and ROI output. It's a great time to be thinking about some of these alternative practices. And, you know, maybe that thing that you've been considering implementing on your farm, now's a great time to look at some of that stuff. I think especially around efficiency, because the greatest way to combat some of these input prices is to be um, incredibly intentional and efficient with those, with those inputs. So um, yeah, those are, those are great. Uh, Great thoughts to have on the whiteboard as we plan for 2023. Mm-hmm. They are. Yep. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, we will uh, we will certainly tag uh, tag your social media, and we appreciate you taking time to join us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. Thank yeah. you, Catherine. Well, Andrew, uh, agronomist episode number three was uh, was pretty awesome. Uh, once again, kind of to your point, when you're doing the live recordings of these, it's kind of tricky because you're sitting there trying to facilitate a conversation. It's it's always fun to go back and listen to them. Um, give me maybe some of your key takeaways from episode number three. Yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed to, uh, listening to all of all of these agronomists. You know, they they each had their own experiences with 2022, and all had really good recommendations going into 2023. Um, some some of my key takeaways, I think, you know, I, I like page bringing up um you know I, I think it's all in the back of our minds you know she mentioned drought you know kind of the last two years and then going into 2023 um i, I think that's something we all have 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 on the back of our mind you know do we do we plan more for, for more drought resistant hybrids do we plan like we normally would and, and expect high yields with with some uh, hopefully some rain uh and, and then she mentioned fungicide plans you know i think with where we were last year you know we some some weren't able to get fungicides when they wanted them or at least the 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 you know the the product that they wanted so i think that's definitely something to keep in mind um you know brian some you know mentioned something uh, in strip till that i'm i'm quite fond of you know my my dad introduced me to strip till i think in in 2008 and i and i remember you know, I was young and dumb and, and thinking, why the heck are we doing this? And then I remember four or five years later, this would have been, I think, 20, the, the drought of 2012, we had some of the best and, and greenest looking corn in, in the fields around us. So, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer in strip till. Um, you know, it's it's not for every every acre, but there's definitely a time and a place. And it's uh, it, it's kind of like drought insurance, I, I, like, I like to say. Um, Catherine brought up some really good points, um, about insects. You know, I, I think we're, we're kind of, you know, the last year, 2022, especially, I, I think we, we were so focused on tar spot and in many of the state, you know, or much of the state had reduced, uh, you know, rootworm population compared to what we were expecting. And so I, I think, you know, the, the whole insect conversation is probably something that we, we shouldn't forget because I think even though we had reduced rootworm population, you know, there's, there's still feeding going on. I still saw adult, adult beetles. So we know that the population is going to be there next year. Um, you know, we, we, we know the larva is going to be, you know, be feeding uh, at, at that time and, you know, during the spring. So definitely something worth, worth thinking about. Um, and, and finally, man, Matt Nelson, I, I always really enjoy listening to Matt Nelson. I think that the main thing that, that stuck out to, to me was his whole risk management discussion. You know, I, I think we, we've had the discussion, Sean, that a lot of growers are, are maybe getting that taste in their mouth 
with higher yields and, and later maturities. And so, you know, I, I think as, as much of a fan as I am of, of late maturity products, you know, I, I think he, he brought up a good point of, of spreading your risk um, with different maturities, you know, whether that's the pollination window or, you know, just when, when drought or, or high heat occurs, you know, it's, it's just one thing we can do to, to reduce the risk uh, for growers. Yeah, I agree with all those and appreciate your feedback on them. I, I really enjoyed that set of uh, uh, agronomists, I think, very talented people that are uh, looking at some uh, important issues in the field and appreciate them taking the time to give us that feedback. We've got one more episode uh, coming up. Um, We hope you enjoy episode number three and we will see you guys again in a week. Thank you. See you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of a penny for your thoughts. As always, we love feedback from our listeners. Please email us at a penny for your thoughts at gmail.com or reach out to Andrew and I on our social media. We'll chat at you next week.